Ever wonder how someone turns a cool idea into a documentary film? Or maybe you just love the genre. Either way, you're in the right place. I'm an award-winning documentary director and editor. Each episode, I sit down with other doc filmmakers and talk shop in this limited series monthly podcast. This is Handheld with Dan Napoli. Hey, everyone. Today's guest is friend, documentary filmmaker, and all-around awesome dude, Taylor Morgan. Taylor is best known for his film, The Last Blockbuster, and also Pick It Up, Scott in the 90s. Taylor also has the distinction of being the very first guest on the previous incarnation of this podcast, Real Life, where we sat down and talked five days before the last blockbuster hit So As you can imagine, a lot has happened to Taylor between now and then, and he's had a lot of projects under his belt. So much so that we're gonna split our conversation into two different parts and two different episodes. Today on part one, we're gonna talk about a film that Taylor has in the can, soon to be released sometime in the next coming months, Unstuffed, about the phenomenon of Build-A-Bear. And Taylor is gonna give us his experience of what it was like working with a brand and, and a brand commission documentary film. We'll be back the week of August 15th for part two of my combo with Taylor, and we're gonna get into the film he is currently in principal photography on, Getting Lost, about the highly popular and now highly controversial television series and the fandom that surrounds it. As always, thanks for listening. Like, subscribe, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your podcasts you can find handheld. Here's my conversation, part one, with Taylor Morton. Taylor, I'm going to jump in the middle of your uh, trajectory of things first. How did the Build-A-Bear project come together? It was, I guess, about almost two years ago now. I got like a very strange email from this guy named Jason that was like, hey, we want to talk to you about a, a Build-A-Bear thing. And it was uh, at a production company. It wasn't from Build-A-Bear. And I was very confused because I... Um, I'm a little bit too old to have experienced Build-A-Bear as a kid. Uh, it started in 97 when I was in my late teen years. Also, I lived in Oregon, and we didn't have one until the early 2000s. So while I was familiar with the concept, it's not, you know, how it is when you make documentaries. You, I like to start with an unfair advantage and doing it on a topic I know pretty well, right? Which is cheating. Which is like, yeah, I could do one about Blockbuster Video. I think I spent... 20,000 hours inside blockbuster videos in my life. So that's, that's cheating. Um, but this one, it sort of came to me. Uh, it was their 30th anniversary, 25th anniversary, right? Can I do math? 97 to 022. 25th, 25, I think. Yeah. 25. 25th year anniversary. And they were, um, you know, sort of trying to commemorate that as like, there's a story here, but also we just, they were doing things for their 25th anniversary and someone in the Build-A-Bear ecosystem thought, uh, a documentary is a good idea, but what, how do you do a documentary about a company from the nineties? And then I guess somebody saw the last blockbuster and was like, well, this guy knows how to do a documentary about a company from the nineties. Let's call him. And they did. And I had, um, a bunch of irons in the fire at the time, as we always do. There's no other way to 
make there's no other way to survive as an indie filmmaker than to have five or 12 projects going at once. Um, and I, you know, I always believe they're all going to go. Well, you have to really, I mean, you can't, you can't put them out there and be like, well, I'm sure this one isn't going to pop also because right. Like we're all terrible. Um, if it was stocks, right. like how many times, right. Is the one that you don't think right. is going to come to you is what comes and vice versa. Exactly. So I was like, well, yeah, maybe I'll do this build a bear thing. Maybe I'll do this other one or this other cool one. Or, you know, this one that was my idea that I'm pitching around and trying to get funding for. Um, and just over the course of a few months, it became pretty obvious that, uh, the build a bear one was the one that was going to go. And, you know, they had a real, not a big budget, but like a real timeline in mind. Like this movie will be finished in 2022. And I was like, well, shoot, I love a deadline. You know, I love a challenge that is deadline based. Um, So I started reading about Build-A-Bear and there's a lot of information. They, you know, doing their 25th anniversary, they had done a bunch of internal, you know, they built me a timeline. They wrote all these documents and then I fact check and I became an expert on Build-A-Bear Workshop for the purposes of this documentary. And that's what I did for all of 2022, basically, is I started and finished a feature documentary about Build-A-Bear Workshop, which I'm told is coming out soon, but I I don't know where or when, so. Is that, in in the doc space, is that your first experience working with whatever you want to call it, a, being a sponsored film or a brand partner or whatever language? Yeah, well, I think of it as, uh, it was definitely more of a partnership than a, a sponsored, you know, branded content. I've... I've done a bunch of that. I came up in the world of uh, corporate videos and like intro. That's where I got the idea in my head that I could make documentaries as I had been doing uh, commercials and weddings and real estate and things like that in the DC area. And, you know, some of the larger um, associations, nonprofits, these big companies uh, every once in a while they would want to do like a 10 minute mini doc about a thing and it's still storytelling and it's still documentary filmmaking, but they tell you what it's going to say and they're very particular about which words are included and which ones aren't. And this wasn't that, um, the, the CEO of Bilderberg is a producer on it, but she, you know, didn't. It didn't feel like I was working within a tiny box or anything. It felt like, make the movie you want. They're going to have notes. I think they cut like one joke that was at Build-A-Bear's expense that I thought was funny that they were like, well, you know, we're a publicly traded company and you can't just drag us through the mud in our own movie, um, which is totally understandable. Um, But otherwise, it was pretty much... You know, I had a, a team of producers at this production company that it was nothing like what I've done before. I've always, you know, done everything myself, been very indie and scrappy and crowdfund for a little bit of money and then try to put something together. So having any resources at all was wild to me to just be like, I think we want to film this and then somebody else makes it happen and then we go. 
so this process was like, this sounds like right in a way what we all would love to have of, of like the director, like, so production companies working with build a bear, Mm -hmm. maybe through an ad agency, maybe not. And they reach out to you to to tailor as like, Hey, direct this. It's not your own production company having to like, you know, okay, here's, here's a budget, here's a pile of money or, or pile, <laughs> I said like, like a small briefcase of money. Yes. Uh, collection. <laughs> of um, gathered. But yeah, it's not like gathering, a small yeah. gathering. Um, but it's you coming in just as the director with this kind of like support system that's around you, but isn't necessarily your own. Right. Yeah. So that's a great way to describe it. And it was super duper foreign to me having not, worked like in the system, you know, like this is my first time really working with a production company and with, um, you know, producers and hiring a, an actual crew. And they're like, what do you want? You know, how many grips do you need? I'm like, I don't know. Usually it's me. I set up the light over there. What? I don't have to do it. Great. I guess two grips. I don't know. You know, it's, it's that kind of a, a learning curve. Um, but it was really fun from the standpoint of just taking the limitations away and being able to just write in a document, like, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this? And then, you know, two thirds of the time they come back and go, no, you're, you no, we can't do that. Cause I would be like, I have an idea for a sketch. All right, hear me out. Miley Cyrus is in this sketch with her dad and we're going to do this thing. Cause she was on a build a bear float, uh, in the Macy's day parade, like, 18 years ago. So I'm like, that's let's get her and we'll do this whole thing. And they're like, yeah, that's not going to happen, but cool idea. Come up with 10 more and we'll pick one. (laughs) So I'm curious about that. Like, um, we'll just say like that Miley Cyrus, one example. It like, why was, why did they shoot that down? Like a, a two part question. Why did they shoot that down immediately? And is that something that if you were making it purely in your world, like you still, do you still kind of like take your shot at trying to right. get that done? Well, I, I may have misrepresented. They didn't shoot it down immediately. They did try. They reached out. It was Miley's people that were like, that's not going to happen. Like, it's, it wasn't happening. anybody okay. on like team Build-A-Bear documentary. We were all, yeah, yeah let's try for everything. Um, and there are some... And, some cool things we got to do because of that. But yeah, no, there wasn't anybody that said not, no, they would actually reach out and they don't answer the call. You know, it's not like you get a no, you get ghosted is, is in the indie doc pop culture world. 99% of the time you never hear back 0.5% of the time you get a yes. And the other 0.5% of the time you get a no. Well, and to be fair to, to Builder Bear and the production company, one of the reasons I was asking if they like preemptively were like, no way, dude, is because of that, like um, what you noted earlier is they had a very definitive timeline. And so then even, you know, sometimes a producer right. might be as to be like, hey, dude, that sounds awesome, but we have to have this thing out by date, date right. X. And like, there's no way you know, we're not going to hear back kind of to your point. We're not. And, and I know my experience with music licensing is like, yeah. that. sometimes it's like, you're like, oh man, I'm not going to hear back from the agent by the time you want your first cut. Right. This isn't feasible. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, they know that stuff 
better than I do with some of the specific people. They'd be like, well, we've worked with this person before. And well, I mean, we'll ask, but it's not, not going to happen. Yeah. And yeah, I think to your point, the timeline and also the budget, you know, there were things that I would, I'd be like, let's do this. And they're like, well, we can't go to Nashville for a week. That's not part of it. You know, it was still, yeah. there were still a lot of constraints of like, we're going to be, um, build bears from St. Louis. So we're going to be in St. Louis for a week and then you get a week in LA and that's about, you know, what the budget could stomach. So it was within those parameters, come up with the coolest way to tell the story of build a bear workshop. And I, I think we did. I mean, <laughs> you never know. Do you feel like there's, um, Oh, sorry. Before I forget, I want to go back. So you said, you know, two thirds thumbs down, but a third like greenlit thumbs up. What's one of your favorite things that were in that bucket of a third of the ideas that you wanted to do? Like, hey, I've got this idea and you were able to do it. Uh, for this project? For that project, yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite thing, and I, th I, I never know what it's like okay to talk about until the movie is out, but I, I think we've talked about this one publicly but my favorite thing was they told me a story about these they do charity bears right they'll do one-off celebrity bears and have somebody sign it and auction it for charity and it's like for children's cancer it's it's a really great thing they have a whole foundation and they they raise a lot of money for charity um and just like off camera just chatting with people i heard this story about the time they made a custom build-a-bear for mike tyson it's like a boxer, you know, it had the face tattoo and he signed it and they went to get it to auction and he wouldn't give it back. He kept it. He's a, he's a cute bear. I'm not going to do the voice because I value my face, but <laughs> you know, he, good, good decision. Good he, decision. He kept it and they're just like, I guess we don't have that one anymore. Like they just gave up because no one wants to try to steal a teddy bear back from Mike Tyson. That's a dangerous endeavor. Um, and that just clicked in my brain of like, oh no, we should go get the teddy bear back. That's guerrilla filmmaking. You know, like that's, that's the move. And it didn't exactly work out the way I first pictured it, but we did get to sit down with Mike Tyson and try to get the bear back. That's incredible, yeah. dude. Wow. <laughs> and that's like what I was going for from the very beginning is like, what do people not expect in a Build-A-Bear documentary? And that's yeah. on that list. <laughs> uh, dude, my, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson getting a Build-A-Bear bear, let alone like being like, yeah, this is dope. I'm keeping it. You're not getting yeah. it back. Definitely not on my bingo card for that film. Right. And that's sort of the way I operate as a, a storyteller is you ingest a tremendous, you know, it would have been a 20 hour docuseries if, if the whole story that they had given me and that we had researched was in there, but you ingest all this stuff and you know, the handful of things click in your brain of like that, that's the thing, that moment there, you know, and there were a bunch of them, um, that just, and you have to kind of go with your gut because most of the people that I was working with had been at least in the Build-A-Bear ecosystem for a long time. And you get a little bit jaded of like what's interesting and what's a boring story and what's 
you know, which of these bullet points are the ones that you would put in a 90 minute documentary. And that's the job, I think, is to, to come at it from a different viewpoint and just be like, oh, no, that's interesting to me. And then just hope that an audience agrees with you. Off that thought and kind of off what you had said earlier, and I know this film isn't out yet, but you're, you know, you're post the process mm -hmm. of it. Did this make you like more interested? Because um, I think like Doc's so interesting because I think by and large, um, I guess you have these two buckets. This is a long-winded way to get to the question, but you kind of have these two buckets, but, but by and large, Doc directors way more than scripted are tied to what we're yes. doing in, in some facet. Like it's, you know, I mean, shoot, I'm, I, I'm curious in some more of that, like I almost refer to it as like industrial work where like some of the channels are turning out so much doc content that there's no way that like um, somebody was like, I'm massively passionate right. about the uh, the Pepsi contest from 1997 where they didn't give the oh, guy. But that was such a great uh, the fighter pilot. It was I amazing. That it was, oh, it was if so I had good, heard dude. that story, I would have been massively passionate about it. Now that you're on the other side of having done one of those docs where like, you know, no cheating, as you said, beforehand going right. in, are you more interested in like, are you more open to doing work like that? Or was like once enough and you want to stay with things that tie to you? Um, I'm definitely still open to it. It didn't like, there was nothing that like soured it for me. I was, I got to, make a film mostly in the way I wanted to make it. And I know that's an insane privilege, you know, to get paid to do a work for hire, um, directing job, at least at the level that I'm operating at is rare. It's happened to me once. I would love for it to happen more, but, um, I think it's very, very important to keep those other irons in the fire that are the things you're very, um, passionate about or that are personal to you because like you said you get so wrapped up in these things you know I spent a year living a very teddy bear based life that I did not expect um, and again that's part of why I was into it from the beginning is because it was only a year and that's the shortest for me from start to finish of any documentary um I, probably because there were a few more resources at hand and, yeah. you know, they probably thought it should have gone faster, but I'm coming off of, you know, a four year blockbuster project and a three year ska project and a two year refreshments project. And, you know, to me, one year for a documentary is lightning fast. Um, but you're still like living and breathing this thing. And to a certain extent, you know, once the movie comes out, people know you as this thing, right? So, like, I'm, yeah, for a while, I was the refreshments guy. I'm definitely the ska guy amongst people that I know. And I'm the blockbuster guy. And you get tagged in every news article. They, they're like tweeted at you or whatever. Um, and now I'm going to be the Build a Bear guy. And, and you have to be okay with that. I, dude, I think it was interesting as a fan, though. Like, when I saw you announce like the Build-A-Bear doc, I'm like, did not see that coming, but also makes complete sense in a yeah. way. And as like a director, like, I think that is 
um, I think that's really cool and maybe like, like important. I'm trying to come around to that myself. Um, I'm assuming most of the people who will listen, who, who listen to this, this show are, I'm assuming our audience is young filmmakers is like, and I hate, it's just, I know it's the eye rolling, like, oh, you're a brand, like, oh. but like people kind of knowing what your gig is as a doctor, I'd say more like a voice. Mm-hmm. It made sense to me. Um, you know, your, your pieces are a bit nostalgic. They're usually uplifting. They're kind of in, you know, time, timeline wise are kind of in like a bit of like a bookend, like. I think that's like a cool position to be in as a doc director. Yeah. I mean, and that's part of why I did the Build-A-Bear doc as well is like, as much as I had no idea, like I had never built a bear. My first time going to build a bear was day one of filming. Right. Um, But as soon as they said it, I'm like, yeah, that sounds like something I would do. Right. That's very, I guess on brand or, or whatever. Because I'm not, you know, I wasn't a Build-A-Bear fanatic, but if you could see the rest of my office here, it's all action figures and toys and objects. And it's very easy for me to draw that connection of like, oh, I love Star Wars action figures. So I understand what it is to like have an object in your home that matters to you that other people think is stupid, right? Not that teddy bears are stupid. I shouldn't say that. But people come to my house and they're like, oh, look at this guy with his freaking Ninja Turtles. Cool. Cool, dude. Right on. What, you're 40? You're in your 40s? Cool. So, so like, there was a way in for me that made perfect sense. I'm like, yeah, no, I, I love these things. And that's the story to me is, like, why do people care about teddy bears in this case? But any dumb object that means more to you than it should it's interesting though from your a weird thing of kind of your audience's standpoint although you didn't maybe experience this like personally but like i would venture i mean now i'm talking from personal experience in a way but part of your audience from the ska film um, are very aware of the build-a-bear by because by the time they started having kids, like my daughter's about the same age as Miley Cyrus, yeah. so we got a build a bear when she was four mm-hmm. or five. I don't think one of her friends had one particular, but there were the build a bear birthday oh, parties. Yeah. There also, it is weird, you know, like kids that like 10 years earlier were at like real big fish or Boston shows are maybe in the early aughts, like participating in Build-A-Bear. Right. So it's kind of, you know, there's something cool to be able to follow you as a director. Like, oh, he's telling stories from these little different parts of my life. That's that's cool. And that's interesting that, like, that doesn't come up for me because from my experience, partly because the movie's not out yet, but it feels like very different audiences. Even between Blockbuster and Ska, which are the two bigger ones that I've done, like, of course there's crossover because everyone went to Blockbuster Video, and for a week in 1997, everyone listened to ska. Uh, but, but you know, there to me, it's like there's the ska people, and there's the Blockbuster people, and there's the Build-A-Bear people, and there's the Refreshments people, the Peacemakers. Um, but it's very interesting, because there are, like, a couple of people that are all of those things. You know, and I've yeah. met them like the, Venn the crossover between the Ska and the refreshments blew my mind. 
Like, yeah, really? I couldn't. I knew that I liked both. You know, musically, I was a ska kid. I was in ska bands, but I loved the refreshments. And they're like, you know, this Americana kind of Southwest, a little twangy rock band from yeah. Tempe, Arizona. Um, and then, you know, you go about your life and you're doing a ska movie and all you have to show people is this refreshments doc. And they're like, oh, I love the refreshments. Like that, you know, breaks your brain a little bit because you keep people in different compartments. And when they cross over, it's like worlds colliding. It's like when you, your work friend and your cousin meet outside of you and you're like, wait, why? How do you know each other? Man, I never... I never put, I never put that together, Taylor. But you know what? It makes it, it actually makes total sense in a couple things. So like my, um, my socialization to the refreshments were like, their records started charting like the week I started working at a record store, my sophomore year okay. in college. Um, but if you think about it, I think maybe now we forget. Like again, dude, I didn't even dawn on me until you say that. But like. The power, the power of like, for a lot of people, like the radio dictated what your CD case looked yep. like, right? And so the refreshments record hit in like 95-ish, maybe six. So you, you know, you cross section that with like ska rising. Right. I want to go back to something that you had talked about earlier, because again, I think it's some, something that is kind of under, not very understood, how long you live with these films. I have a roommate that's been my roommate since uh, November 2021, which is this Iron Kids action sports documentary I'm working on. I like roommates is good. So you said four years on the blockbuster mm -hmm. doc, three years, three years on pick mm -hmm. it up on the ska doc. You know, I think of them as I don't have children, so maybe like pets. I have all these pets. Uh, and they all need attention all the time. Have you ever found that like burdensome or is it even maybe the opposite that you're like, oh, like I'm a this kind of guy. Like I like being on something for a long time. <sighs> That's interesting. I do. I think there is always it maybe depends on how you're feeling that week or that, you know, whether the email you just got was Miley Cyrus turning you down or Mike Tyson saying yes. Like uh, not a burden but there is it can get very overwhelming when you have a lot of irons in the fire and you're you know you're working on a documentary that's in production you have two others in the back of your mind in pre-production or like you're thinking about them and you're still you know working on post on this build-a-bear thing and you're doing you know and then that's going to come out and i'm going to do press and that's going to be a whole thing and i don't even know when that's going to happen and will that feel like a burden or a joyful, fun thing? I don't know. It depends on what's going on in the rest of my life that week. Um, but yeah, you do. You live with them actively for years while you're making them. And then you live with them forever. Like once, once you put them out in the world, they're just out. And that's... It's just there's a part of you that is just always tied to that thing. Um, and that's true for, uh, I call them regular filmmakers too, not doc people. <laughs> you know, if you, if you look at the, the filmmakers that you, 
that you like and they make these movies and you just always will associate these people with this art and that's maybe why we do it (laughs) you know i think that's fair dude there's a quote i love from um scott Mosier, who's kevin smith's producer i think it honestly was maybe about mall rats it's about something that was a bomb Mm -hmm. for them um and he had a very zen like uh note that's always kind of stuck with me that he was like and again now we're talking about scripted but that um the movie's defined by your experience making it mall rats was the first thing that's of course how the relationships with ben affleck and jason lee and all this stuff started that's always a win even if only like 12 people saw it in the theater and i think there's varying degrees of that right like it depends on what the thing is i I would say the refreshments don't come up for me quite nearly as often as Ska or Blockbuster. And I have no idea where on the spectrum Build-A-Bear is going to land because I know there are millions and millions of people who are fans of that brand and, you know, build bears every month or whatever. Um, But I don't know those people. (laughs) I mean, I've met a lot of those people now, but like in my day to day, it doesn't come up. In the same way that, like, ska music does, but that's because I've been living the in the ska world for 25, 28 years, something like that. All right, that's a wrap on today's episode. Once again, big thank you to Taylor Morton. Make sure you guys come back the week of August 15th for part two of my conversation with Taylor. We'll be diving into the film he is currently in principal photography and production on, Getting Lost, which is about the highly popular and now highly controversial television series Lost and the fandom that surrounded it. Uh, Taylor's amazing, and he's really transparent and really open about what he's feeling and his experience has been like as a documentary filmmaker when you're in production and you get thrown a huge curveball Uh, So much so that you just discover new information that that even radically maybe changes the story that you're trying to tell. Awesome conversation with Taylor. Make sure that you don't miss it. As always, thank you for listening. Like, subscribe, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, anywhere you get your podcasts, you can find Handheld with Dan Napoli. We will talk to you next month. Thanks so much for listening.